Past, present, future, live. In-depth conversations and exclusive live performances featuring some of the most dynamic artists from the world of contemporary music. From Osiris Media, this is Past, Present, Future Live. I'm your host, RJB. This week's guest is Alexandra Savior. The Portland native hit it big with a cover song posted on YouTube at age 17, and then after being discovered, was put through the ringer, as she puts it, by the major labels. She put out her first album, Belladonna of Sadness, in 2017, in partnership with Alex Turner of the Arctic Monkeys, who you will hear mentioned in this conversation. We also discussed the difficult path often faced by women in the music industry. This year, Alexandra released a beautiful, personal, and moving record called The Archer. At the end of this episode, you'll be treated to an exclusive live performance of three songs from The Archer. You can find all the videos for these performances at youtube.com slash osirismedia, and you'll find a special Spotify playlist with all the music we discuss in this episode in the show notes. Please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into it. All right, I'm here with Alexandra. How you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for joining us. It's going to be a fun conversation. I've been listening to your music for the past couple of days getting ready and I really enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm hoping that people listening get to hear some of the thinking and history behind your music. Um, so thanks for being willing to do it. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm going to go all the way back. What's your earliest musical memory? I guess I remember popping bubble wrap and listening to that song by Stevie Ray Vaughan, My Baby. What is it? Was it Love Struck Baby? I don't know. It's like, my sweet little baby. I don't know. I remember we were dancing to it, and it was kind of the first time I felt like I had correlation of the sound that I was making and the music I was listening to. So what was growing up like? Was there like music all over your house? What was your kind of upbringing like in terms of music? My dad collected records when I was young, and my brother played guitar, my uncle played guitar, and so it was fairly musical. My dad moved to New Orleans when I was 12, so I think at that point is when things started to shift musically, and I started to listen to a lot of old jazz records and stuff, and that's when I started to get into playing music. That's cool. Um, I, I have to go back and just say, I think that Stevie Ray Vaughan's song is called Pride and Joy. So I just want to note that for the record. There it is. <laughs> um, did you get to go to New Orleans and see music um, when you were a teenager? Yeah, I went to New Orleans um, several times a year when I was growing up and there's music everywhere you go. So it's kind of inspiring. Were you singing at that time or were you just listening to music and learning? No, I didn't really start singing until I was about 15. I was in musical theater. I was one of those kids, and I sang in choir, but um, I didn't really start singing on my own until I was a little bit older, in my, in my teens, 15, 16. It's interesting. I, I feel like every person I've interviewed for this show was in, you know, a musical theater. And I wonder if that's like, did your peers have the same, I mean, did everyone like want to be musicians or was it just something to do that you were interested in? I think I had a lot of excess energy and I also like was very sheltered. So that was what was accessible to me. 
my mom would take me to plays a lot, so that was what I kind of was interested in. And I don't know if any of those kids really became musicians or were into music. I think it was more about just like having a lot of excess creative energy and like being like needing a lot of attention as a kid. <laughs> I think my, maybe my kids should go into musical theater. It'll wear them out. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you remember like a, an album or, or even a play that you went to, something musical that really spoke to you during those years? We went on a trip to New York when I was 10, and my mom and I went and saw The Lion King on Broadway. And that was, that was incredible. Yeah. I was like, that's what I'm going to be up there one day. But really, it seems exhausting to be on Broadway, and I don't think I'm have enough energy for it. <laughs> what about it was was interesting to you? It was like interactive and very visually beautiful and it was immersive. I liked that. Yeah, that's interesting. It does seem exhausting like watching the Hamilton musical recently. It's like these people do this every day. 3 times a day. <laughs> yeah. I just like I don't I don't think I could do that. So it sounds like you traveled quite a bit when you were growing up and music was a part of that, New Orleans, New York. Did that have an influence on you, you think, in terms of how you started thinking about music? Yeah, I think it did. I feel like when I got into my teens, I got really into the Velvet Underground and kind of, yeah, like I said, old jazz singers and stuff. And that probably had a lot to do with, yeah, I guess the two places I'd been other than Portland, Oregon, <laughs> I don't know, and like Disneyland. <laughs> Your vocal style is really unique, and I, I was wondering how much of that came early on from other artists you were listening to. I, well, I listened to a lot of Billie Holiday, and there was a period in time early on where I really was like kind of going for a little Christina vibe, getting a little too... Uh, I don't know, girdly or something. I was singing um, and taking jazz singing lessons and I would go to like jazz nights at like cafes and stuff when I was a teenager. And then when I started writing my own songs is when my voice like developed into what it is now. How old were you at that point? I started writing songs when I was 14, but I didn't take it very seriously until I was 16 and my friend put a cover of us singing on YouTube and I got asked to go to New York and then I was like, oh, I can actually do this all the time. I want to talk to you about the cover that you posted because that, that is a big part of your story. Was there any moment before that that you were like, I want to do this as a career? <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, I mean, of course, when I was a little girl, there were a million different things that I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to be a pop star and an actress and a gymnast or whatever. And I liked the idea of performing, but I always thought that I would go to art school and become a painter or a teacher. Like, you know, it didn't really occur to me that that was something that was uh, within my reach, where I was in, in the world and in how I grew up, you know. So not really. I don't know. I guess it didn't. <laughs> and then it seemed like that changed. So I think that was 2012 um, that you posted the cover. It was of you singing Big Jet Plane by Angus and Julia Stone on YouTube. What happened when you posted that? Well, actually, before that, why did you post it? Well, actually, I didn't post it. It was my friend. It was snowing. And I had this friend named Summer who we used to sing together in after school and um, I went over to her house and we were playing and singing and she she was like, we should record this. 
and she recorded it on her camera and then she put it on her YouTube um, and then like shared it on Facebook and then I I put it on f my Facebook and my family saw it and stuff and I don't I don't know I actually wasn't the one to put it put it on there so thanks to Summer I guess <laughs> yeah I know that you've talked about like you're a quiet person were you worried at all about putting stuff out there publicly I don't think it really processed I, I still feel that way with the internet in general where I don't really understand that oh like a lot of people can see this pretty much anybody could and I didn't get it at the time I just thought it was my friends and family that would be watching it what happened after that? Was there any memory of like the days or, or weeks after you posted that? That's particularly profound. I remember it getting like a thousand views or something within like a week, which was seemed like insane. And within a couple of weeks, I got a phone call from an agent lady who wanted me to go to New York to meet a manager. And so I went from like zero to a hundred and... I had no idea what I was doing, but I remember everybody around me was kind of just freaking out because it was exciting, I guess, and it was fun. What was going through your mind at that time? I mean, you're 17, and, and you hadn't thought about becoming a singer professionally before that, and suddenly you're, you're going to New York, and your music career seems to be underway. Like, how, how did that feel? It was really it was fun. It was exhilarating, and I, I was really hopeful for my life and excited and I really I felt like then I could dedicate myself to something you know like it felt like I had kind of more guidance because at that time you're like what college am I gonna go to what am I like oh, you know you have no idea yeah I couldn't imagine as a 17 year old I mean I didn't I had no idea about anything yeah me neither it's hard I still well, don't <laughs> <laughs> I feel like yeah we're all learning every day so so you're still living at home at this point did your parents support this were they like yes go to New York like make this happen well I was raised by my mom and she was she was like skeptical but we had vouchers like for a free plane ticket to anywhere and so it just happened to be that it was like expiring right when that happened so she was like all right well I guess like fuck it this is a sign and she was really supportive and I think she felt like I would regret it if I didn't follow it through so yeah she was supportive it, it's hard for her because it, it can be hard for me and it, I think it was hard for me at that time so sometimes it's hard I think for her to think back on letting her kid do that, but I'm not mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> what happened when you went to New York and what was that experience like? It was kind of yucky, honestly. It was like, you know, I was really young and it was more about the way that I looked than it was about my singing or my music. That It was actually a modeling agent that, or modeling agency that was like starting a section for music so it was very exploitative and sort of surface level but at the time I didn't care because I was just like I'm not like hanging out in a cul-de-sac with like smoking weed right now like I'm in New York City you know so I didn't understand and I didn't care but it was it was kind of a gross experience but exciting for 17 year old me you know. So they saw you at the intersection of sort of music and modeling. Were they looking to turn you into an Instagram star who could also sing or what? I don't even know if Instagram was a thing yet. I don't think Instagram was 
happening yet. But I feel like a lot of people in the record industry are still kind of stuck in like the 80s and 90s. And and that's like a lot of the major label world is like that. And I think they were kind of thinking of me being like, I don't know, like Tiffany or something or like, you know, like a pop star. Yeah, like a pop star. So a year later, you signed to Columbia and moved to L.A., right? I think it was a little over a year. I think I was, yeah, maybe about a year. Wow. Really fast. It happened really fast. Was that a similar experience or was that very different from the takeaways you had from the trip to New York? Oh, that was that was different because it was like, oh, shit, this is real now. Like, I have to write a whole record and I can hardly play an instrument. And I was living by myself in an apartment and it felt lonely and it wasn't like it was exciting. Like the build up to it was exciting. Um, like being flown to see record labels and meeting all these people that seem so fancy. And then you sign, sign your contract and then they're like, okay, well, like see you in six months. And you're like, oh (laughs) shit. (laughs) Um, yeah, so it was different for sure. So what was it like going in to record music and play music with people who were much older and much more experienced and probably mostly male? It's always different. I had... I had some pretty like sour experiences for sure where I had somebody like this big time producer asked me to sit on a stool in the middle of the kitchen of his uh, studio and asked me to like play guitar and sing as like all these like employees were like walking by and he was eating an avocado with a spoon and he just (laughs) he just told me to stop and that I didn't have what it takes and I didn't have I didn't have the thing and that I I could get out, you know, and it was like it was like being on like an audition for American Idol or something, you know, and I'm just like a kid. Um, But then I don't know. Every person was different. I went through the ringer with with all of the songwriting songwriters and producers when I was 18. So everybody's different. That's crazy. That experience is like out of a TV show. I know. Yeah, my mom makes fun of me because a lot of my stories sound like they're... Even the avocado, like you can you can picture it. Did you meet anyone at that time who became like a mentor for you or people who you ended up meeting and then later collaborating with? That's when I met Alex Turner. We made the whole record together. Yeah, during that time, I actually, I didn't end up working with anybody again or really using any of that materials. Aside from Alex, that was like the only consistent musical relationship that came of that. So what happened then? So you came out of that experience without an album, right? I had an album. I mean, I guess I did have an album. I had, it was sort of like a quilt or something very, it didn't make any, it wasn't cohesive at all. It was just a bunch of different songs. Some were written by me and recorded in my bedroom. Some were written with big pop producers, some were written with, you know, just guitar players, and it didn't feel cohesive, and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing or who I was or what I want to sound like, and so, yeah, when I met Alex, it was kind of like I just scrapped all of that because it felt like it was going to be more cohesive working with one person, and also it felt kind of like a relief because he was already established and he knew what he was doing. So I didn't have to, like, panic as much. That experience with the label and all that, I mean, how much different do you think it was as a woman, just as a female artist? Oh, man. Uh, 
I mean, I can't say because I've never been a dude, but um, <laughs> I used to hate that question because I hate the answer, which is that it was incredibly difficult, you know, especially when you're 18, you know, people were very patronizing and very yeah, condescending and people still are, you know, like uh, sound checks still we have problems all the time and uh, there's a lot of microaggressions and your opinion kind of gets masked and you sort of have a voice in your head that you tell yourself that you you probably don't know because people are constantly saying that to you. Yeah, and then you get compared not based off of like what your music sounds like, but based off of what color hair you have to to other artists, you know. And um, so, yeah, it can it was it was tricky. It was really tricky. So you meet Alex. What happened then? I mean, did you go straight from sort of like having those songs, and then did you immediately start working on something else? Uh, yeah, I just totally like scrapped all the other songs. I'd recorded except for the ones that I had written myself and then him and I worked out some of those and like added bridges and stuff like Mirage and that was a song I wrote before I met Alex and stuff and but basically yeah started brand new. How did you feel at that time? Was it liberating to be working on fresh music? Did it feel like you were leaving a bunch of effort behind? Like how did that feel in that period? It was liberating I guess yeah it was um very exciting to learn a different way of writing songs because I only had like this weird awkward professional like going into a studio and sitting on a couch with a stranger way of writing songs and then the very like deep personal kind of in my bedroom writing songs that I never really felt secure with so when I was working with Alex I was sort of studying his process and Together we developed a process of our own and that was very inspiring and I just learned like a whole different way of of making music really. Can you tell us about some of the things you learned or why that was so like revelatory for you? Well, I had never been in a band or anything, you know. I was just like singing to karaoke tracks and my brother would play guitar and I would sing. Like I had never really worked out instrumentation with a, with another person. And and also we recorded everything on tape on a reel-to-reel. So that was like, you know, I'm a millennial. So that was like a very new experience and it was very hands-on and um, made it feel more like tangible and more of like an art project than it was like big fancy record that was kind of being like, sold to me all the time or whatever from these label people. The record Belladonna Sadness came out in 2017. I think a lot of the press was about Alex's involvement and and that helped kind of like introduce the record, but it was your debut and your opportunity to introduce your sound to the world. How did you feel when the album came out? Uh, I didn't want it to come out. I don't think I understood when we were making it that he wasn't going to be there. And for some reason, at the end, I was like, what have I done? Because I should have just put out a few demos, like an EP, before putting that record out when I look back on it, just to show that it was me, you know. His uh, involvement really overtook a lot of my own identity and it was very confusing and hard and so we finished it in 2015 and it came out in 2017 and I think a lot of the reason was because 
I really didn't want it to come out. <laughs> so, but I'm glad it did now, and I'm glad I had that experience. But That's really interesting. Were you happy with the songs as they were being made? Some of them, yeah. It was hard because I definitely felt like sometimes I would hold my own opinion back because I did feel like he probably knew more even if my instincts were telling me something else. But there are a lot of songs that I I won't play live that I kind of wish I would have spoken up about and not had on the record. And I think everybody feels that way about whatever they create. So it's bound to happen. But um, And the label was so involved, you know. I mean, I was just so lost. I was such a little kid, you know. What happened after that came out? I mean, did you immediately start writing more music? Did you take a break? How did you move on from that experience? Well, I had been writing music the two years before it came out. And then when it came out, I was going on tour and then would write between touring. And it was actually a really short tour cycle. It was only, we really didn't do much touring with it. And, um, so I moved back to Portland and started writing and recording with my band. And that's how this new record was born. And did that feel different when you were writing and recording? I mean, did you feel like you took some stuff that you learned and then applied it in your own way? Did it feel like a different process? Yeah, it was It was definitely different. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed writing for myself and by myself. And because I got dropped from the label, there was really nobody there to tell me that I was doing a bad job or if I was doing a bad job, except for my mom. I was like living with her and she would just walk by and be like, sounds good, honey. (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask you about Portland because you, you grew up there and you left and you came back. And in these conversations, we talk a lot about how, you know, different cities kind of influence your musical interests or your musical style. Portland's cultural identity is sort of like Well, it's definitely satirized in like Portlandia, but I'm not sure how much people know about like the music scene there. I mean, is that a place that has influenced your music? It definitely did for this new record because I was spending so much time going to shows and there's such an abundance of different kinds of music in Portland. And, you know, every single night there's a there's a show and one night you'll see like an all girl metal band and the next night you'll see like a hip-hop show and the next night you'll see like somebody just playing guitar and singing so I was really inspired I wasn't super involved in the music scene because I grew up in the suburbs and I was like a kid and it wasn't really until I moved back that I started to be involved did you see a lot of music when you lived in LA Yeah, I feel like the music scene here is a lot more, like, official because everybody's trying to, like, make it, you know? So it's a lot of, like, showcases and, like, feels more professional. And um, so I actually didn't see as much music just because it's, like, more expensive and I was kind of a loner. It seems like you feel like L.A., at least through those first experiences, like, lacked some authenticity with who you are. And it seems like, based on this album, The Archer, that you were able to like gain some of that back. Yeah, no, I think that's that's pretty accurate. I think that there's like an aspect, there's a reason why I come here and it is because like there's a limit to how far you can take your music when you're living in Portland, but that's probably why I like it and that's why I was much more comfortable there and am more comfortable there. And 
So The Archer came out in January of this year. Can you tell us how the songs came together? Because I read that you you talked about each song kind of representing different emotional states, different emotions. Can you tell us about how those songs came together and how the album came together? Well, I mean, I was writing all the time. So I came out of an abusive relationship and then I was really in a weird place. Um, I was living with my mom. I was a nanny. I didn't really have like a real job. So I spent a lot of time at home just writing and painting. And I don't think at first it was conscious to try to make each song represent what was going on in my life or what state I was in of grief or whatever it was. You don't really figure that that stuff out until far after the record is finished and you know people are asking you about it and you're like oh yeah it's a, <laughs> that, that one's about uh <laughs> did you have something when you were putting these songs together for the album did you have a goal for what you wanted to communicate to people listening you know i suffered a lot of abuse in my you know teens and early adulthood and i felt like i was always really afraid to write songs about it because I didn't want to be seen as a victim or I wanted to write songs about empowering the victim and, and feeling uh, like the complexity of abuse. And so I knew that that was the narrative and I kind of took on this character in order for me to be able to write from that standpoint instead of having really just like raw and emotional songs. I wanted it to be more constructed and have that voice and and that strength more. The character thing is really interesting. I mean, that's a way to kind of remove yourself from being too close to it. Yeah, I think there's like a certain amount of feeling like it's like you're involved in the abuse as well because you're not like actively leaving that situation. And so I kind of, uh, yeah, I like to have like this like vengeful sort of spirit when I was when I was writing during that time. It's a really cool album. So congrats on getting it out there. Tell us about the songwriting process. Like, do you typically start with lyrics and add music or how, do, how does that process work for you? I always start with guitar and then I write lyrics and melody. Usually I write the melody and then the lyrics can take up to like a year or two, but, or I can just write it all at once. It just depends, you know. So the guitar comes first. Yeah, the guitar comes first, or piano. I've only written a few songs on piano that I've actually completed because I'm not a piano player. The title track is the last song, which is interesting. I feel like that's rare. Was that intentional, or was there a specific reason for that? Uh, I always knew I wanted to call it The Archer because that was sort of the theme of what I felt the whole record was about, that song was, and... But it's also a very slow song, and that always kind of works for the last track. And having two slow songs be like the start and the finish. I'm really bad at picking the order, choosing the order of the songs for records. So, um, yeah, I think Sam Cohen probably had more to do with the order of, of the songs than I did, because I just have, I get so lost. I don't think I would be very good at that. It seems difficult to make that decision because then once you make it, that's how everyone's going to hear it forever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless they put it on playlists or whatever. But if you're listening to the album, that's that's the album. Yeah, it's pretty scary. And it's scary picking a name for a record, too. That's really terrifying because it feels like naming your baby, you know. It's going yeah. to be there forever in the ether. <laughs> 
I was talking to a friend about that recently because there's so many great albums that are not named after songs on the album. Exile on Main Street comes to mind. I mean, there's there's lots, right? But it must make it somewhat easier to at least do the name based on a song, but then you have to choose. Yeah, I changed the names of my first record so many times that I was just like, I don't care. Let's just call it this, please. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> So you released this on 30th Century Records, which is Danger Mouse's label. How did you decide to work with that label? Well, I knew Brian slash Danger Mouse for years. because Actually, I guess earlier you asked me if I had worked with anybody. And I had met Brian when I was making my first record. And we spent a week in the studio and we got about 30 seconds of a song because... We just weren't compatible in that way, I guess. <laughs> we were better <laughs> off as friends. And so he uh, came into Portland and he was making the Broken Bells record with James. He asked me to come sing on it. And uh, then he was like, oh, yeah, you want to be on my record label? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it seems like a good fit. Yeah, it's cool because it's a really small label. Different than the experiences you were describing earlier, for sure. Polar opposite. Exactly. <laughs> so once this was released, did you get feedback from fans? And if so, did it match the intention that you had for the record? I mean, I've had a lot of people say sweet things. And people are generally pretty, like, just nice. They usually don't get into specifics if they're giving you a compliment or something or after a show. But I did have one girl sort of write about the record being... And I felt like she was, she was like the only person that really got it. Because I have songs called like crying all the time and people are like, oh, it's just like a, you know, like a womp womp sad girl thing. Mm -hmm. And I, that always was disappointing to hear. Obviously, it's really pointless to be frustrated for people to not understand what you're trying to convey because it just doesn't always work that way, you know? It seems like it was like not really listening closely enough or, or taking the time to kind of try to understand or listen to the lyrics. Because the lyrics of these songs, I think, are, are really great and, and pretty in-depth when you when you listen to them. But when someone says that it's probably about what the title's about, that kind of indicates that they didn't really they spend... Listen. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like the problem I think we all have is that just like you get to an age where you realize that Nobody really gives a shit, you know, and it's really rare that people do. So it's nice when they do. It's like trying to get your parents' attention all the time. I don't know. I, f I feel really grateful when people actually listen to it because I do understand that there's so much out there. And, you know, nobody, they don't, yeah. they don't got to be, why would they, you know, they don't need to be listening to my music if they don't want to. <laughs> so. <laughs> I want to go back to your art comment you made at the beginning, because it seems like you do the artwork for your albums, right? And you direct videos. Have you always been an artist? Is that like something that's important to kind of carry through for you? Yeah, I've always been a visual artist as well. I have a very manic temperament sometimes where it's easier for me to stay inspired if I hop from one thing to another. So it's nice to have a career and a world where I can I can do all of those things, music and visual art, and it's cheaper to do it yourself. But a lot more work. I mean, but if you if you enjoy doing it, I guess it doesn't feel like work as much. No, yeah, it's. I mean, sometimes it feels like pressure when I'm having to put it out, and I'm I get scared of people seeing it. 
but I like doing it all. So. So how did it feel to finally have this album out there? I was really excited. I had a big party with all my friends and I was like a birthday party because it felt like I worked really hard to make it on my own and I was really proud of myself. And then a little friend called COVID-19 came around, but I, I was really pleased. I was excited. How's it been over the past several months? What have you been putting your creative energy into? I've been painting a lot. I've been selling my paintings because I don't have income from touring. So that's my only way really to make money right now. So I've just been painting every day and writing. I, uh, I've been watching a lot of like murder, murder documentaries, <laughs> <laughs> listening to a lot of books on tape and trying to read and then only getting like half a page and I'm like why did I have nothing else to do why is it so hard to concentrate there's literally nothing else to focus on (laughs) well I I think that describes a lot of people's lives right now I mean except for the writing music I don't think a lot of people are doing that but I think the watching murder documentaries and trying to read is probably pretty common do you feel like you have like a bunch of more music compared to when COVID started Actually, not really. I probably shouldn't admit that because I know my label is wanting me to <laughs> to have a lot of music. But in the past year, I've probably only written like or finished, you know, like six songs, maybe. Um, it's just been such a crazy time. And it's it's hard as an artist. I think you're expected to sort of talk about what's happening in the world. And um, I just feel really overwhelmed by it. And I think we're all just so exhausted. And it, it, so, yeah, I haven't really been writing as much as I normally would, weirdly. Yeah. Have you been listening to music? Yeah, I guess so. I'll, when I go on walks, I listen to music. I listen to this lady, Sybil Bear, a lot. Have you heard of that woman? No. She's like a folk artist that made this record in her house when she was like 19 and then never put it out and just like had kids and got married and then in the 2000s her kids put it out got a label to put it out and it's really beautiful i like that kind of soft folk music based on your experience doing art and making music and all kinds of other things what do you want to do next do you have people you want to work with? Do you have stuff you've been thinking about? Like, what's your future look like? Oh my gosh, I've been asking myself that every day. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it feels really hard to think about the future right now, but I'd like to focus on just getting by and creating. And the music that I've been making is a lot different than music I've ever made before. It's a lot less like narrative and more like raw kind of emotional music. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that. I don't know. I don't even know really what it sounds like. Everything just sounds the same to me because I've been playing, just playing them for myself. Hopefully go on tour. We're planning on picking up the tour again, but it doesn't really seem like uh, anybody knows if that's going to be happening or possible. I hope you get out there and tour. I would like to see concerts. If it ever happens again, then you should come. Okay. That's a deal. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. This was fun. Thanks for taking the time. No, thanks for for reaching out and thinking of me. Cool. You will be hearing music from Alexandra soon. (laughs) 
And now here's Alexandra Savior playing Crying All the Time, Soft Currents, and But You. As a reminder, all performances can be found on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Osiris Media. My name is Alexandra Savior, and I'm accompanied by Drew on the piano, and we're going to play three songs. And this first song is called Crying All the Time. song is called Soft Currents.
This is our last song. Um, it's called But You. Baby, but you, 
baby but you baby but you Thanks for joining us. Past, Present, Future Live is hosted and produced by RJB. The executive producers are Adam Kaplan and Kirsten Cluthy. Production, editing, mixing, and original theme music by Brad Stratton. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. Please visit OsirisPod.com to find more content and deepen your connection to the music you love. <laughs>